0: Hey everyone, this is Amos for Just Being Amos Podcast. I have Terrence Rosemore with me. We're going to talk about Brightburn, and also we're going to talk about his up-and-coming projects that's coming out. Hope you guys enjoy this podcast. This is Amos for just being in the podcast. I'm your host, Amos, and uh, today I have Terrence Rosemore with me. What's up, Terrence? Hey, what's up, bro? Been a while. Been a while. Been a while. Yep. How long has it been? Almost a year, huh? Has it been a year? Yeah, I mean, been a
1: year.
0: Yeah, yeah. Wow, it's been a year. It don't seem like it's been a year, man. It don't be saying like it's been a year at all. So, what you been up to? Oh man, just uh, right now,
1: I'm in post production for my first feature film as a director
0: but before you start let me know for my new listeners um terence rosemore he's a good friend of mine no more like a family and um he's a a producer a director and an actor you might have known him and um recently he was in Guardians of the galaxy 2 you know he's one of the ravagers what was the ravager's name again norblick 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 yeah he was in norblick he had other movies under his belt also but you let you guys know. Go ahead, um, Terrence.
1: So yeah, man, just in post production for a film that I directed
0: and produced called
1: Different Worlds, and it's a joint uh, American and uh, Nigerian production. Excited about
0: that. Not Nigerian, not the two Nigerian. I'm, I'm not going to say about Jesse Smoker, man. Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry. <clears throat>
1: and um, what else I'm doing, man? I'm uh, about. We're in. Um, development, and we're, hopefully we're about to go into production for a movie that I co-wrote called um, Third World, which is kind of like um, City of God set in New Orleans. You know, it's like an urban crime drama about New Orleans uh, during the crack epidemic.
0: What, year was, what years
1: was that? Um, we started it right before, so like 84 to 2001. That was that long? Yeah, because 80, 84, it wasn't really common knowledge. Right. People didn't realize crack was crack in New Orleans probably until about 1989.
0: Cause It was a big thing back in Los Angeles and all that, at that time, right? Yeah, yeah. Because
1: you know what happened was guys were freebasing crack. Right. And the guy, whoever was using coke, you know, this was like guys who were like upwardly mobile. It wasn't street cats. Right. But once they were able to, uh, you know, put it in crack form, it, uh, I don't know how long it had been in New Orleans in that form. Right. But the violence had been steadily upticking from 1982,
0: actually. Right, right, right.
1: But it wasn't until about 80, I'd say probably about between 86, 89, right, when it came on the radar. You know, because I'm a young man at the time. I'm like, yeah, I 21, 22. I was a
0: kid, so I didn't, I didn't understand none of that stuff. I was a kid. Well, I'll I was. tell you what,
1: man, I started seeing cats because you know in the 70s. You had
0: pimps, guys right, riding right, around in right.
1: big cars and all that kind of stuff. Usually, drug dealers were low-key. Um, but when crack came, right, everybody, not to say everybody, but all of the cats who were considered themselves kingpins, they started getting these customized cars and stuff. Right, And so it wasn't, you know, in, in, in New Orleans, you might have had five or six cats who ran different sections of the city pre-crack.
0: Right. When
1: crack came out, well, then everybody was a boss, and so...
0: Everybody had the opportunity to sell crack, and everybody was their own boss So the time, that's right? when And
1: so that's when the turf wars, and that's right. when you was having, you know, uh, a city the size of New Orleans. You know, you got
0: 1994, almost 500 murders. That's why it was called the murder capital of the world at the time? Yeah,
1: per capita. Per
0: capita. It was, uh, yeah. I remember that, because Master P mentioned it many times in his rap songs, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what your movie is based off of? It's
1: based off of that myself and uh, uh, my writing partner, C.L. Taylor. We wrote it a couple of years ago. We put it down, started doing some other stuff. Um, You know, we did a web series called Refugees, and then we came back to it, and then we put it down again, and, um, you know, I think because of the the climate in Hollywood, as far as you're seeing more uh, African-American content uh, being produced, you know, now's the time, so...
0: Um, that's true. It is. It's, it's the time now. Yeah, and, and it comes in cycles, you know. It does. It does. So that's what your um next movie is. So what now? Recently, I think you and I talked about it. It was um Brightburn, mm-hmm. you know, and I, you and I talked about it briefly, and then I mentioned it to you about how I like the idea mm-hmm. of that movie. Which for you got for people listening, Brightburn is a movie directed and I think created. Got written by James Gunn, right? No, it was uh, it was actually written by James's brothers, Sean. No, his no, two other brothers. Oh, really? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So it was written by James's other brothers. I forgot their names, uh, and it was produced by James Gunn, who you know did Guardians, and it was uh, directed by um, my friend Yarvo, who actually directed. It's actually Brian and Mark Gunn, all the guys who di- who. Um, Wrote it, and David Yaroveski Yar, right, is the director. And Dave was one of the, uh, one of one of the, uh, what do you call it? Um, also in Guardians, he was one of the Ravagers. The Ravagers. So he had two brothers that was Ravagers in there.
0: No, no. Oh, just was Sean and the other guy.
1: Yeah. So Sean was a Ravager. David is a good friend of James. Right. He directed it, but um, um, James's brothers. Brian and Mark Gunn wrote the screenplay. Oh, that's cool, man. Keep it in the family, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, from I haven't seen the whole script, and because they were very, very secretive about it. But But um, you know, these guys, uh, you know, just the little bits of script that I seen, and also the trailers, you know. And, and it's funny because, like, you know, when I'm when we're shooting stuff, and I got I got a little small part in it. Um, you know, they'll give you your parts, and then right. they'll have, like, the previous scene and the scene after. Right. Or when you're shooting, on the day that you're shooting, uh-huh. they give you what they call sides. And sides is pages of the script. Right. Of everything that we're going to shoot that day. Okay. And so, um I didn't know what the movie was about, literally, until I got on set. <laughs> and I started, you know, kind of playing detective and... Reading all the uh, other scenes that I
0: wasn't in, right, right. They get to the, get the feel of what she was a part of. Huh? Yeah, yeah. And
1: I mean, it's you know, I think with with the advent of social media, um, it's it's harder to keep things under wraps.
0: It really is, man. I'll give Marvel and Disney credit; they keep a lot of things under wraps. Well, I,
1: I tell you what, man. When we <laughs> shot Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, most of it was shot at um, Pinewood I
0: here in Atlanta, they, right? Yeah, yeah, in
1: Fairborn uh, County, but. We also shot at the old convention center near the airport. Right. And so that was where most of the exteriors that we shot were in soundstage. And um, there and at Pinewood, Pinewood especially, they had these Marvel-themed signs with different superheroes. Oh, that's sweet. If, every way, but every way you turned around it was like, remember, no photo, do not share. Right. Right. And, I mean, it was like you go to the bathroom, and it was you know, it was like Captain America telling you, and it, it, you know, you almost you felt like you know Captain America was gonna kick your ass <laughs> if you breached the confidentiality. A Spider Man was gonna come swoop. It really felt like they were watching you, man. Oh, wow. Okay. You know,
0: that's that's what that was weird, man. Yeah, yeah. Every
1: time you turn the corner, man, there's a poster with a suit with a Marvel superhero.
0: you heard a tiger take a dump, man. Hey, yo, don't.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Really
0: paranoid I don't blame man. you hell, man shit I, that's what they keep things secretive, man. I'm glad they do, because yeah. I'm one of those fans like hey man, I don't want to know really, but with the social media climate, you said you know, everything can't be secret these days, man right. you know it's they do a pretty good job, man, but, really you know, do. back to brightburn, man I was um you and I was talking I said, this remind me of Well what I've seen so far, let me go back to what, what it was about. It's the take on, it's like, what if Superman was founded by these people, right? Mm -hmm. What if he was not a good person, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And he uses his powers for just plain evil and things like that. But, you know, DC has, back to the comic book, DC has this thing called Elseworld. And it's a different take on what if these characters was done differently. You know, for instance, I'm going to give an example. Um, you had Red Sun. It was about Superman. What if the Soviet Union found him? Hmm. You know, things hmm. like that. Right. Then you got Batman who became a Green Lantern. You know, it's a different take on the character. You know right, what I'm saying? Right, right. So when I read, when I saw the bright, burned um, trailer, you am know, like, oh, shit. All right, this looks pretty good. You know, they, they got a little horror theme to it. Mm-hmm. You know, this kid, mm-hmm. you know, got the powers of Superman and stuff like that. And he's just knocking people off without seeing the trailer. Right, right. You know, he was, he was scared of the guy. Right. So I was very stoked about that. I I, I definitely want to check it out. I and, really do.
1: I, I tell you another one that's got me uh, interested. I don't know if it's quite the same theme, but um,
0: Raising Dion. Raising Dion. You mentioned that to me Man, in our conversation.
1: A, a, an African-American kid. Has uh, superpowers,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and he's like, you know, six or seven. Right. And his mom is a single parent, black woman, and she's raising him. I mean, the trailer, the first trailer that they did, it was brilliant. Right. It was uh, originally it was being developed as a Netflix show. A good friend of mine was. Yeah, uh, he told me that. Yeah, and so then it went away. You know, they had some kind of turmoil, and then I think Michael B. Jordan is now
0: attached as one of the producers. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, it really is. That's great. Uh, you sent me a, um, I think you sent me a link to that one time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, at the time, um,
1: you know, this is before Brightburn was even on the uh, on my radar. I mean, at the time, it was like I had never seen um, that concept. You know, a, a superhero as a kid. And look like they're focusing on his childhood, right?
0: Right? Right. You know, right.
1: He's seven or eight, so he's you know
0: that's and, very young.
1: It is, man. And so the the itself was brilliant, man. Because imagine giving an eight-year-old a eight year old gun
0: or a bazooka, we're well, in trouble. We're in trouble. <laughs> or <a> fire torch. <laughs> yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah, right, really right, trouble. Right. And that's that's the same concept, I think, for um, *Brightburn*. I, I, I believe. I might be wrong. I mean, I haven't seen the movie yet, but I've seen the trailer though. I really like it, man. I like the concept of that. You know, I do,
1: too. I mean, it, it looks um, action-packed. You know, I think I worked two days on it. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, James was very closely, uh, you know, he was there. Um, he was there at least one day. The second day, we kind of did some second unit stuff where we kind of split it off right. from the main unit. And, um, but it, you know, it's going to have that same quality, man. And, um, you know, great crew. Like I said, I only spent two days there. As a matter of fact, when I auditioned for it, I didn't realize that Yarvo was the director
0: because we'd worked together. On Guardians. Yeah,
1: but see, these cats, man, they always had all this stuff
0: on. (laughs) Of course, they made makeup, man. And I I
1: rarely got to see them without it.
0: Right, right, right. As a matter of
1: fact, the first time I saw some of these guys without their uh, makeup, you know, especially the guys that had heavy prosthetics, was when we did Comic Con, I think in 2016, right after we wrapped the movie. Oh,
0: right. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm in the lobby at the hotel, and we're rehearsing for the little thing that we were gonna do at Comic Con, and uh, guys are like, "Yo, man, you gonna walk past me and don't say hello." <laughs> I'm looking at him like, do I know you? <laughs> and it was it was uh, what's my man, Chris Sullivan. All right, <laughs> from This Is Us, I think. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I never seen This Is Us, man. I yeah. heard it's a great show. Yeah,
1: I have. Even, I've seen like bits and pieces. I haven't seen the whole run, but uh, yeah, man. So, so all of the guys that had heavy prosthetics, you know, I'd never seen because they. If I had a six a.m. Call time. They but they might have had like a
0: two or three a.m. call. time Yeah, it was. Some rappers just had more prosthetic than others. Like for you, you didn't have that much. No, nah, I just had like
1: some scars. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. It was. It was. Some had less. Some had more. Right, right. You know, speaking of um, James Gunn, I know um, recently this past week, I know he got rehired. Yeah. Disney finally rehired him, man, and uh, I was stoked about that because you know me. Right. I'm 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 a big fan. I I read the books. You know what I'm saying I'm a Marvel fan. I'm am a comic book fan in general. But I heard that. I mean I read the article. They said they have them back and we hired them. I said cool. Mm-hmm. I mean to me as a fan, you shouldn't get rid of them in the first place. Exactly. But anyway, I you know they they did what they had to do. I guess. But um, I know you heard the news. What you thought about the news?
1: I was I was uh, surprised, man.
0: You were surprised. Yeah,
1: because I thought if anything was going to happen, it was going to happen when he went and met with Alan Horn right. a couple of months ago. Mm-hmm. And then when um, they said nothing went down there, you know, I was like, okay, that's a wrap. And then once they announced Suicide Squad, and, and you
0: know, the mystery to me, th- this is, I don't, I'm sorry to cut you off, but this is what I thought. Mm-hmm. And I think I'll talk to a friend about this, is that they fired him. Okay, he didn't have a job. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So they had a petition. They said they want him back. This and this, you know. Dave Batee said he wouldn't work with him. I mean, he wouldn't do anything if he don't come back. You know, he won't work. He won't do the job on the job. Mm-hmm. Then months later, then you hear him hear them want to have him talk to him again about it, and you hear nothing else about the situation. Mm-hmm. But here you go. He's Warner Brothers hiring him. He replaced David Ayers as director and you know writer of Suicide Squad. Then all of a sudden, James Gunn is announced being a director. And also, I think, writer of the Suicide Squad. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> At the time, I'm like, oh, man, this is not good. Then yesterday, you hear Disney say they rehire him. This is my opinion. This, I gotta take it what it is. I think when they saw him getting hired, I think Disney, oh, we need to get him back. Because this, this, the script was already done, I believe. Everything was final draft. All oh, that stuff was done. And, you know, and... They had they had it on on the shelf, you know, mm-hmm. and the, the thing the movie was in limbo at the time, you know, mm-hmm. it wasn't was on a hiatus, it was in a limbo, mm-hmm. cause they moved on and they started um, putting out the other movies and Spider Man, Avengers Endgame, we got Captain Marvel, then we got the other movies, but I don't know how they announced yet that's coming out, but that was on the shelf. Then two or three days later, we hear him getting rehired. I think that was a move for them. Said so we need to get this man back, back, man, because that is a franchise that made billions of dollars for Disney, man.
1: See, that was that was the red flag right there, man. It was like, because usually Hollywood, the only color that matters is green. Green. <laughs> On the green. the real, you know, you could, you know, you could do whatever you want to do, if you are someone that uh, is profitable. They're gonna try to make sure that they
0: but that's just this. how you make money though just think about it. it's money in general you know you got a good thing you got this um uh, this product yeah now look some
1: some things you know you know some offenses are indefensible right and so regardless of money they just have to let you know you got to cut your losses but it was it was weird because James had taken this very you know I'm not I don't wanna say insignificant but this obscure property yeah that was weird reinvented it. <laughs> Uh, it turned into a huge hit. And for the time period of, you know, how long ago he, what he said and how it went down, it was a red flag. And then I started, you, you know, started looking up the the history of who was uh, affiliated with mar Largo and
0: Oh, we all know about f- f- that. From Marvel and all that kind y- yeah. of stuff.
1: And see, nobody, not very few, if any, articles written on that incident Mm-mm. talked about that. Right, you know, and and also too, you got to keep in mind this is like right after Roseanne,
0: yeah. ABC fired. got fired, yeah. And, and for- so,
1: you know, it was kind of like they had to even that stuff off, right? But I'm pretty sure within Marvel and Disney, there were forces that were fighting for James, but powers above them had final say, right?
0: Which they did. I mean, finally, they came. I think they came to the sense <clears throat> and said, "Look, guys, this." But this is already over with. Six or seven months later. Was it six months later or something like that? Probably. Um, yeah, about six. six or seven. Yeah. So it's kind of died, of died down, you know. And you know, we hired him back because I like his work, man. I, I like James Gunn work prior to Guardians. Okay. Because he did Super Slither. Slither. Well, I kind of stay away from Slither, man. That oh. was a little bit too much. Uh-huh. Um, um Talk to, that, to Avengers. Toxic to Avengers. Or yeah, he worked. Scooby Doo. He wrote Scooby Doo. That's right. He did both. <laughs> one into it, right? I don't, oh, I don't know if he one. did.
1: I don't know if he did both of them, but I know he did one of them.
0: But yeah, but
1: I like his work, man. <laughs> and, and look, man, from I worked with James twice, and um, you know he's a good guy, man. I, it was like I, it's just dawning on me how great of an opportunity it was because all the other main ravagers were longtime friends of his. Right, right, right. I was pretty much the only you know featured ravager. That wasn't in his clique of friends, right? And I didn't—I had no idea, man. You know, as I started looking, you know, getting to know these guys and seeing the history that they would had with each other, I was like, "Oh, okay." Which is a great thing. It, it really—it it really was. And then to get back invited again to do *Brightburn*, you know, and so someone asked me, "So, man, when, how did you get in the camp?" I showed up and I did my job.
0: Yeah, you always tell me that. show up, do your job,
1: do you know, be a professional, man. And and um, I just came in, man, and did what they asked me to do. I didn't cause any trouble, and um, and that's you know that's about three or four years ago, man. I started getting booked on uh, jobs. I mean, real nice jobs without even having an audition. Right. And there used to be, you know, I remember I used to tell people it ain't who it ain't what you know, but who you know. But the reality of it is it's not. Who you know, but who knows you? Yeah, that's a good one. Because several instances where I got cast on something, I'm thinking, okay, they saw my footage. And then once I get on set, a producer or a writer will come and hey, man, I'm such and such. Work with you. Yeah, as soon as we saw your tape, man, well, we asked for you. And so, again, man, it's like, as actors, we, we're always looking for validation.
0: Right, 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 right. And so
1: what will happen, you do a great job, and you don't hear nothing about it. But these people remember you and they know you and they may be having conversations about but
0: this, you. But this is just like life, though. Life is like this, man. You know, you do a great job of something and people take notice. Right. You know, and you get that opportunity. You know, you take it because they notice the work you, do, you put in. Right. And I, I believe that in life and everyday life anyway.
1: I mean, you know, treat people the
0: way you that want you, to treat. That's right, yeah. You know I, mean? <laughs> I totally agree with and, that. And,
1: and that's that's my take, man. I show up, you know, every department I interact with, man, I always, I'm always on my best behavior. Um, Man, I, look, this is a blessing. Just what we get to do for a living, regardless of what part of the business you know, whether you're in front or behind the camera, man, they're paying you to play. Right, right, right. And and, and, and what's cool is that uh you know, when you're working on a movie set, man, it's it's stressful, it's you know, you know, you know, it's fast paced. But I, I run across um assholes don't last long in this industry. Oh, no, really? Especially behind the scenes. Look, in front of the scene, If you 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 know you can be an asshole if you're bringing in like a hundred million every weekend. Right, right. But behind the scenes, there's a million hair people. There's a million, you know, painters. they got to find
0: somebody else for their job.
1: Yeah, so most of these people, man, even though they, they work hard, they work long hours, they're genuinely good people, man. And I, I, I mean, I love being on a set. Not because I'm, you know, gonna be on camera or I'm making money, but really because of the, you know, you're forced to become a team. Whether it's a day, an hour, or six months, and I and I love you know just a group of strangers coming
0: together and working together. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, you know, uh, after James Gunn got hired and all this and everything like that, I know you and I talked over the phone, and I was going to briefly talk about James Gunn, but I always I was talking about. I was thinking about doing another part of this podcast of what your favorite movie is, but you know, it's your favorite movie, but it was dogged out by the critics. You know, I it's like one. a it's like a guilty pleasure. You know what I'm saying? I got one. <laughs> you I mean, and I talked about it over the phone. I want to know what is one of your favorite movies that you know, like the critics shitted on. You know what I'm saying? Just like when I see it, people gonna think I'm crazy because uh, go,
1: man, what you talk about that's a classic. And the reason why I picked this I had I had three You told me to pick one Yeah
0: I just picked one So I went with this Cause one Because you do three It's going to be all day <laughs> so You know right, what I'm saying Well
1: right. I went with this one Because it's um, People are comparing The movie That I directed to this Right And it's called um, Eddie Murphy Coming to America Which came out In 1988 let me, let me tell you what the Hollywood Reporter said about
0: it. What did what they, what they
1: say about it? On June 24th, the Hollywood right. Reporter in 1988, and I'm going to out him, Dwayne Byers, or whatever his critic's name. Right. Distressingly, the film flops into the blandest of sitcoms, never realizing its regal potential. He also, and I'm quoting, dull-witted screenplay. The plot itself is pathetic, completely misses as a social satire. Okay. Washington Post, June ninth, 1988, <laughs> Al Hinson. Murphy seems to have set his sights on the lowest prize imaginable.
0: He aspires to blandness. Okay. So that's what, Na- 1988. Yeah. Nineteen eighty. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And I remember
1: going to see the movie and loving it and thought it was funny and it was a tour de force for, you know, Eddie and Arsenio Hall. But in the early 80s. So, why are you thinking this? They gave us such a hard time. Because at that point, you got to think about it in the early, the mid, I said the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, black culture wasn't in pop culture. Oh, well, yeah. You didn't have McDonald's, com- if you did have a McDonald's commercial with a hip hop beat, it was like one of the first ones. Right, right, right. In the right. late 80s. Right. You see what I'm saying? But Eddie Murphy. Hi- 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 Spike Lee probably was the first person to use a hip hop culture in a, in the Nike commercials he did. Right, with, uh, with Michael with Jordan. Jordan. Yeah, Mars. In, like, yeah, 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 right that, Mars. Yeah, that's probably the first time hip-hop was used. Um, but during
0: that time, though, Andy Murphy was kind of hot, man. He loves he, S- he, SNL.
1: No, he, he was, but I'm, I'm just telling you, man, I think there was a disconnect culturally between these these critics. You know, like at that time, you know, right now, man, uh hip-hop culture is thoroughly immersed in the general culture of America it really is and around the world
0: it really is in the late
1: 80s and the early 90s there were still forces resistant to that that is true in other words the people have to, uh, you know people on on, uh, on Madison Avenue and all these advertisers like nah man we don't want to alienate middle America and a certain you know certain generations
0: but isn't it um, ironic that it was hip-hop and rap. I mean, hip-hop in general started in like, New York and everything like that. It was an urban thing. You know, it was a city thing. Now, you have this international, the suburban white kids, black mm-hmm. kids, Latino. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody's listening to it now. I
1: mean, look at listen to the vernacular. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing movies and TV shows where they're taking uh, slang. Right. Hip-hop slang from 20 years ago. And they're using it regularly. You know, because they used to, when they used to use it, they were trying to be hip and cool. Now it's just part of their regular vernacular.
0: You know, dead presidents in the West Westford Dictionary, I believe, It's in the dictionary. Okay, see yeah. See, I mean, they take yeah, some yeah, of the yeah, words yeah. and
1: yeah. So, so I, I think it's just a kind of evolution of the culture, right? You know, um, and, you, and you can look at rock and roll. You can look at the blues, right? From the twenties and 30s. You can, you know, you, R and B in the in the uh, in the thirties,
0: mm-hmm. late
1: thirties, when rhythm and blues jump. You know, all that stuff was looked at. Frowned upon, you know, when it when it first came out,
0: but now it's acceptable now. Everybody accepts it now. I mean, that's what well, it well, is.
1: you you have no choice because it is part of the fabric of what we call America.
0: That is true, and,
1: and so what I my theory was because you know it was the same thing with um, Boomerang, right? Another classic, you know. And, and I, you, I know you told me once, but you go ahead. <laughs> Here is the from um, July tenth, nineteen ninety two, Entertainment Weekly, borderline disaster. Gelatinous puddle of screwball comedy,
0: raunchy black update of Pillow Talk. But you know what, though, man, that was most of the comedic thing back in the eighties and nineties. Everything was raunchy, man. You had Martin, I mean Eddie Murphy, um, Red Fox. You had Robin Williams. Oh, not Robin Williams. You had other comedian that was. Richard Pryor very raunchy. Yeah, but they were underground. They were underground. But then because you
1: didn't see Richard Pryor doing um, McDonald's commercials. He no, that's there. true. That's true. You, know, you didn't see George Carlin. Maybe, maybe when they first started, because you know Richard Pryor used to come in with, wearing a suit, nah, trying right. to be Bill Cosby.
0: Like, no, no. George Carlin, same thing. They used right. to be,
1: you know, because to get on NBC with the Tonight Show, which is the place that make it, made made a break comedians, right? You yeah. had to have an all American deal. And so, uh, again, man, I think the taste of America are changing. I think the urban, the uh, uh, street, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, the, you know, the culture has seeped into the the, the broader culture. Right. But what I, I think, you know, you're talking about these kids, somebody who was writing in the early 90s, they probably went to high school maybe in the 80s. They they probably didn't go to school with black kids. They didn't hear rap on the radio. Mm, yeah. They didn't hear rap in movies. They didn't hear it on commercials. And so there was still a disconnect. You know, uh, there was a, a
0: cultural disconnect. Somewhere. But you know what, though, man? When rap, uh, now we all talk, I'll talk but, uh, off topic, I'm, I'm sorry. But it's just like, I couldn't even afford to get a CD or a, uh, a cassette tape. I had to record it and dub it. You know, the radio. the radio, you know what I'm saying, right. or if 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 listening, to, listen to hip hop, I me mean, listening to rap, like N.W.A. and all that stuff, all the cursing they had on that, I can't listen to that. Right. But I had to sneak and do it. Right. I had to <laughs> I had to go get my cousin's um, cassette tape and other cassette tape because it was dual mm-hmm. um, right, recording, right, right. man. And you no, know, we couldn't afford that, man. Uh, my would, first would you... CD was like, <clears throat> excuse me, the first CD I owned was Friday soundtrack. Okay. That was the first CD I ever owned. I remember this is back in nineteen ninety four. This is ninety four. What year were you born? I was born in. I can't tell on the podcast. Okay. Right. I'm in the 70's let Let's say that I'm been born right. well, in seventy. I'm born in sixty
1: four. I'm fifty four, and I think the first CD
0: I bought was might have been in the early like nineteen ninety. And that's the thing. You no, know, we, we couldn't afford it. You know, CD was like twenty dollars, twenty five dollars, man. Uh-huh. You know, but I get your point about coming to America and um, boomerang. Boy, yeah, coming to America. That's so, 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 so
1: which, what's yours?
0: <laughs> well, it was a movie that I was watching as a kid. I'm not supposed to be watching it anyway. It was a rated R movie called Life Force. Okay. Now, Life Force was actually, I think it was had a lot of British actors and actresses in it, you know. And one that caught my um, attention later on in life, it was Patrick Stewart, Captain hey, this Picard. Is, this
1: is before Captain. Picard. This, yeah, this is
0: before Captain Picard. This is when he was younger, man. Right. and um, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 64 which is not bad for Rotten Tomatoes you know what I'm saying but see
1: again what you're talking about is that what, what year did the movie come out
0: it came out in 87
1: so what happens with these aggregate scores of Rotten Tomatoes is when they do DVD releases and, I'm sorry 85 it came uh, out in 85 so man. so see the thing is is like is it the the further we get away from its origins the better the reviews get yeah yeah so so, if you take away everybody who's just jumping on a bandwagon saying this is a, you know, I'm talking. That's why I went and looked up the original reviews.
0: I see that you made. Yeah, <laughs> I see that, man. Of, of the movies, you know. Yeah, because I mean, life force is kind of weird, man. Because I looked at it now, you know, if what the movie is about um, the aliens, whatever, and they discover the aliens, and actually the aliens are like vampires. Okay. So they are wow. taking people life. The life force from them. Right. You know they, and it was this woman. She was walking around naked. Come on, dude. I'm a kid. I'm watching a buck ass <laughs> naked woman. <laughs> oh my god! It's, it's directed by Tobe Hooper. Oh really? Yeah,
1: I heard that name before. And written by Dan O'Bannon. Mm. See, there you go. And, and and I can tell you what some of the things that uh, Tobe Hooper he, he actually died two years ago. He did the Texas Chain Ca- Saw Massacre. The oh, original. original. Yeah, yeah.
0: Poltergeist. Oh, he did a lot of horror in the 80s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh,
1: let me see who wrote this thing. Dan O'Bannon. I think he might have did Terminator or something like that. Uh, Dan Dan died in 2009. I didn't realize he had passed away.
0: Alien. Alien, Total yeah. Recall, Prometheus. So, that was, that was their early work, man. They got classics, you know? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No wonder I like it. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, yeah.
1: So, and again, man, you know, it's like the same thing with James, man. If you go look at
0: his stuff. Pre Slither. Right. Uh, that's yeah. a lot of trauma stuff. He yeah, did, yeah, yeah, yeah. But
1: again, man, it's, you know, um, PG porn.
0: Oh, um, on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah, yeah. those that stuff was hilarious, man. Yeah. He had Michael Russ, what, Rosenbaum in mean, one of them, and he has a brother playing in one, has yeah. a mechanic. <laughs> oh, yeah. God. And, and look,
1: man, if, if cats look up some of my early stuff, my funky Uncle Lester and my. He uh, showed me that. <laughs> and my, my refugee film stuff that I did with CL, you know. Uh, and, and, yeah. and I, when I lived in LA man I, I would always tell writers because cats would always be kind of complaining about they're not on and they haven't gotten a break and I said look man enjoy this creative period of your life because this is believe it or not I know you you're broke and you're sleeping on the floor right. on a mattress or whatever but as a creative you you can go unadulterated the bigger the checks the more people putting their hands in the pot of the content right You know, so what I loved about the early to mid '80s and maybe even let's let's say let's say from the late '60s to about '85, uh, you still you know you you had a lot of uh, low budget films. This is before all the majors bought up all the independents,
0: right? Right. And so
1: these cats was just trying to you know it was almost exploitation, man. It was like whether it was horror, black exploitation, or whatever. Uh, titillation. They were just trying to get content to put it out to, to make some revenue. right? And what they do is the smart guys, they left the creative stuff to the creatives. So you had all these cats coming out. They were cheap to hire and, you know, the good producers let them do their thing and we got some really good stuff out of that. You know, particularly in the horror
0: genre. Uh-huh, genre yeah, the horror genre. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: One, once marketers and accountants started... Uh,
0: the bean counter started getting to it yeah once they started
1: uh, making the creative decisions then it got kind of yeah yeah it just got
0: I don't yeah I don't deal with that at all man that's cool man so Terrence I mean it's always a pleasure man talking about Hollywood and what's your upcoming projects and stuff like that man you know always enjoy you on my podcast so in order for people to get to see your work and stuff like that how can they um, check your stuff out uh, what website or what social media um, uh, account account you got? Yeah,
1: you can you can catch me at TerrenceRosemore.com. dot com. Just my name,
0: right? And then
1: uh, I, I think all my links, uh, you know, Facebook. Because I don't even know what my just, just Google my name. Something's gonna come up. <laughs> everybody, Rosemore. here, that? Right?
0: Google yeah. Terrence Rosemore. You might get some plenty of stuff on all his. Yeah. Accolades and movies that he's been in and stuff like that. TV shows also. He's been in plenty of those.
1: And before I leave, man, I got to give a, a, a big shout out to Jason McNeese, uh-huh. who is the uh, writer of a, a, a zombie project that I'm producing called The, Smits. the Smiths. The Smiths. The Smiths. <laughs> and it, and Jason McNeese. Jason McNeese. Uh, Jason and I used to work for the. Um, What's the name of the company uh, that did the uh, the Nielsen Company? Okay. They used to do all the TV. The and ratings. The yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I think they've kind of sold that part of business. They've changed it. But Jason worked with them. He was my supervisor. I only worked there for about six or seven months. But in that time period, we bonded. And he wrote, he had never written a screenplay. It was based, he wrote a, a feature-length screenplay based off of a short story that he won an award for, like, in an Oregon newspaper. Right. And we were going to develop it as a short. And, you know, when we got a director and it started getting... I said, man, you may as well just do a feature. And so I gave him, like, three months, and I think a couple of weeks before the deadline of... When I told him, you know, I'd like him to be done with it, man, he turned in one of the best first-time efforts for a feature film writer that I had ever read. Oh. And, And then, you know coincidentally... The, another person I'm going to put in that same category is the woman who wrote Different Worlds, the script uh, that I directed. Right. Uh, she was a first-time screen screenwriter. And uh, she and Jason are in that same category, man. Because, you know, I, man, I've read hundreds of scripts in the last 30 years as an actor, behind the camera. And most people, I don't care how good of a writer they are in other mediums, most people, first-time screenwriters, man. It's just, you can read... You can read the first page and say,
0: "Okay, this is it.
1: This is, first yeah, this is the first time." Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you got to struggle to get through it because they don't know, you know, they don't, they don't know the the, the lingo, right,
0: right. You know, right. they don't know
1: the secret handshake of that that format. Even if they wrote, you know, plays, if they wrote novels, uh, you, you know, whatever. That's a different format, man. It, it is, man. And I mean, same thing with me, man. Before I started writing, I was I was writing stage plays, and you know, I'm winning awards, festivals, all that kind of stuff. And I started writing the screenplay, and you know, and, I, and I'm a very pro- prolific person, right? As, as a writer, when I was, you know, at my prime writing, So I was like, "Oh yeah, man, I'm going I'm, a, I'm a write about five or six scripts a
0: year, dude." It, it was a whole different animal. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of creative, creative um, juices going through that man. Five, you said five scripts in a year? Yeah, bro. I, I
1: think it took me two years to finish the first one. Wow. Yeah, actually, you know what happened? I wrote I wrote actually I wrote about three or four Shit, I wrote about a dozen short ones right kind of like sketches like key and peels no, no, like right, right right there so so that's what I did I was like okay cool let me let me just do some little small things
0: to get the hang of it right and then it, you know I worked my way up to writing features okay cool so guys this is how you can reach Terence Rosemore just Google his name you get most of his social media uh, accounts that way <laughs> and for me you can check me out at ww.J And also, you can check out all my other social media outlets. It's on Instagram, just being Amos. Also, you can check me out on Twitter and Facebook. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. Peace.